0: If you have a copy of the Scriptures, join me in the very first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. I want us to look tonight and by His grace just be encouraged together from what I consider to be possibly one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful, passage of Scripture that I think we find in all four Gospels, a message of proclamation that would later be written down by the Lord's servant Luke, but would first come through the mouth of a 14-year-old girl. And it is packed full of power. And I think we need some power at this holiday season, particularly this one. Uh, as all the things that, that we've been made to endure have kind of come down upon us over, over the last several years. Now, that doesn't mean the sentimental stuff doesn't mean anything or that it's evil. In fact, I, I actually like the sentimental side of Christmas. I hope I'm not alone in that. I hope I'm looking at people who just look forward to all kinds of things that we would admit, some of them are hokey and, and kind of silly, but I like them. I love Christmas trees of all shapes and sizes. I like the big fat green ones. I like the, the silver ones. Anybody remember the silver trees? They're starting to make a comeback my aunt had one of those and every time I see one of those I think about being in her house when I was about five or or six years old and being instructed by my mother of all the things that I was not allowed to touch and I really want to touch that tree Uh, Because it was gorgeous to me. It was just it was silver. It was I don't know. It's a redneck in me I guess I like shiny stuff And so that's what I was looking forward to so every time I see a, a silver Christmas tree I think of her but I'm not putting one of those in my living room today because they're outrageous They're just crazy, like they got really popular in supply and demand, and so I love trees. We have a a hotel in the town near where I grew up. It's a Hyatt Regency, huge lobby, and and at some point before we come back from our trip to South Carolina to see Extended Family, we're going to make a trek through that lobby because there's probably a hundred Christmas trees. Each of them are sponsored by maybe a local school or a a company or or, or some corporation, And, and they're, you know, most of them are pretty silly and hokey. And cheesy, but I like cheese at Christmas. I don't know. Something just changes about me, and I like cheese. So, I like Christmas trees. I like like white elephant gifts because I get a lot of laughs out of that. Any other time of year, don't give me a white elephant gift in April because I think it's stupid. But the Christmas season just does something to me, and all of a sudden, I see value in that, and I start laughing at it. So, I love gifts. I love giving them and getting them. I love the trees. I love Claymation TV specials. Every year, all right? I'll be 50 next month, and Rudolph Rednose Reindeer turns me into an eight-year-old every freaking December. It just happens, right? It just, it, is there anybody else out there like that, or am I just the only weirdo up here admitting all this myself to you? Yeah, there you go. I love this stuff. I love it. I love it, and I, I, I love, in my view, Christmas doesn't start until I see that Hershey Kiss commercial. And you know the one I'm talking about. Yeah, the, the, one they, the one they enhanced this recent year. And it's cool, but it ain't like the original, right? And so I, I look at all of that, and, and it just, most of the time, the reason I love it is because it invokes some memories, doesn't it? I, I think back in the past about memories that are evoked, people that I love, circumstances, like that silver tree, immediately I correlate that to my aunt. Or, or I see Rudolph in claymation, and I think of my grandmother but there are also some times where those kinds of memories evoked a very different kind of emotion out of me. And you may know what I'm talking about, something that in the past, at a past Christmas, might have taken your happiness and taken it to the next level, but, but maybe that thing, whatever it is, now reminds you of someone who's not here this Christmas anymore. And so there's no happy to be enhanced and the thing about sentimental stuff at christmas it can enhance happy but it can't do nothing with sad have you ever noticed that and sometimes in fact it'll make sad worse it'll make depression worse because you're going to remember something that once was maybe it's just, it's base is just financial i was doing pretty good a few christmases ago and now i i hear this song that reminds me of days when i had it better and i don't have it so good right now and it and it just induces and, and Truthfully, even if you've not had any kind of acute pain or tragedy, just the flurry of activity. I talked to you some, some of you outside the lobby before you came in, and the same was true of the 4 o'clock that sat here before you. The same was true of the group that was here at 6 o'clock last night. And, and I talked to you, and you go, yeah, I, one woman told me. She said, I'm, I'm just thankful to be in this room and be, do nothing but just sit here for about an hour. Because, of, yeah, see, she wasn't the only one, was she? Because there's stuff coming. And you got that flurry of activity. So there's, no, there's been no acute trauma or tragedy in your life, but just the normal stuff, the shopping, the rich food, it all kind of collides and creates this fog of war that, that we call the Christmas season. And it can leave you tired and bewildered and sometimes a little bit sad. And for some of you, 48 hours from right now, that's exactly how you're going to feel. And that's another way of saying most celebrations at Christmas, particularly those of the sentimental sort, they tend to actually be rather disempowering once you get beneath the surface, don't they? doesn't mean they're wrong. It just means that all they can do is, you, anybody use that red and green sugar at Christmas on top of a cupcake or vanilla ice cream or lasagna? I mean, just, right. It's red and green sugar. I mean, if crying out loud, just put, put it on everything. Yeah. That red and green sugar, it doesn't fit on everything though, does it? It doesn't fit really on lasagna. And and the sentimental stuff is kind of like that sugar. If you've got something that's already sweet, if you had a sweet year, a happy year, you go right ahead and pour that stuff on top and it, it just adds to the flavor. But if you've had a bad year, that sugar doesn't help it. You need something far more empowering than that. And when you don't get it, I think sometimes that's where the intense sadness comes from. Because the stuff we use to try to cover it up, it isn't real. And so this morning, this, this morning, listen to that. This evening, here's what I want to do. I want to introduce you to the first Christmas hymn that was ever composed. And it's not, there's no fat Santa in this. There's no mistletoe to kiss anybody under. There's no a tiny reindeer. There's no silver bells or white Christmases. This is a war hymn. But it is given to us to empower us during our worst moments, especially at the holidays. I just want you to listen, If you, even if you can't follow along in your own copy of the Scriptures, beginning in Luke chapter 1, verse 46, "'And Mary said, "'My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed.'" In remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers to Abraham and to his offspring forever what you just heard and what I just read is no less than a powerful and poetic expression of already declared victory and what makes these words mind-blowing is not only who first utters them but the context she finds herself in when she utters them this is a 14 year old girl she's engaged She's been told by an angel that although she's still a virgin, she's pregnant. And the child that is within her has been put there by the Holy Spirit. Imagine how her daddy first responded to that. I mean, let's just be real for a moment. Is that going to be, is your first thought going to be to believe this person? I've been chaste. I've I've been faithful. I've done everything I've been asked to do. This child was put in me by the Holy Spirit. This is what's going to happen. This child is the Son of God. Imagine, even outside her family, what has been said to her, what has been said about her. The disappointment in her fiance's eyes. Because later on in the story, Gabriel's going to have to show up and knock Joseph about the head a little bit in order to get him to see she's telling you the truth. This is not happy fun time in mary's life this is one of those really really dark moments and it's in the middle of those moments that she decides to take a trip to see her older cousin elizabeth who is also incidentally pregnant with a baby of her own this baby will will be born and he will grow up to become jesus burlap wearing bug-eyed stinky cousin john the powerful proclaimer of the truth the forerunner of Messiah and when Elizabeth sees Mary the child within her begins to leap within her womb and this is Elizabeth's word to Mary. I have to think Mary needed this. It wasn't, a, it, it was, it's one thing to hear it from an angel and then wake up the next morning after your father thinks that you've you've been unfaithful to him and, and your, your fiance and everybody else and people are talking about you and rumor mongering about you and the eye rolls and everything else that's going, you need to hear something else. And she hears it from her own cousin. She says, blessed are you among women. Had to feel good, didn't it? After all the other things that she probably took, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then she goes further, why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. What you heard was right. What you saw and experienced was right. This is exactly what's going to happen. That baby is exactly who that angel told you it was. And I can't even believe that I'm so honored to be standing here in your presence. That's what happens. First an angel and then a cousin have a message for Mary that empowers her. And and here's the thing, it's going to give her strength not just to get through this trip and get back and deal with with some of the scorn that she's likely going to deal with. It's not just enough to get her through the the birth and the delivery. This is going to carry her for the next three decades of her life. That's how powerful this message is. And when something that powerful is delivered to you, you know what happens? Eventually it oozes back out of you, and and the result is an unprecedented outpouring of emotion. That's what we just read here. As this young girl becomes poet and prophet in an instant, and what she says can give you power too. Power for whatever you're going to deal with. Listen, enjoy the tinsel, give the gifts, get the gifts. That's fine. On your way out of the parking lot tonight, set your Bluetooth for all those corny, cheesy songs about snow and elves and reindeer and kissing people over the mistletoe. That's all cute. There's nothing wrong with it. But if you're like me, you've probably experienced some times when it wasn't a very good Christmas and you can, you can testify from experience, all that cutesy stuff can really do is, is smear a layer of peppermint on the darkness. But it can't take the darkness away. What we just read can give you light. What we just read can fill your heart the way it did Mary's. That's what we find here. This is the word that I suspect we need at Christmas. First of all, because it empowers our destiny and our future. Can you you imagine what it must have been like in a society like that of Nazareth to be a young girl in this situation and yet Look at what she says about her destiny in verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. We did a series about a year ago called Blessed, Went through the Beatitudes together. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed, and one of the things that we learned if you were with us along that journey together is that we have too often in the West conflated the goodness of God with the blessing of God, which means we, we, we use hashtag blessed when we get a new car. Or when we go away with our spouse or we 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 there's not a category in the Western mind which is really tragic if you think about it that says I can live blessed in a way that's not indexed to my banking app or what kind of car I drive or how my marriage is going or anything else there is a state of being available to me that is not dependent on my circumstances Mary is sitting in that right now in the middle of all the reality that she's having to face she says I'm blessed. And from this moment on, all generations are going to look back at me and back at this story, and they're going to see that I'm blessed. And so you got a beginning and an end here that that forms the, the grounds of Mary's praise. It starts with the reality. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant, poor pregnant teenager from the lower classes of Nazareth. But it ends with what she knows is true. And what she knows is going to be true. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Th- this is not the first time this has happened in Scripture. A vulnerable individual in a vulnerable situation who, who sees the reality, the spiritual reality of, of where they are. And in fact, the language and tone here are very reminiscent of another young woman who found herself powerless. Her name was Hannah. For Samuel chapter two, she's barren, she's unable to, to have a child. And Scripture records for us, although it does not in any way endorse this idea of the culture that she lived in. And in those days, they believed something that we ought to have better sense than to believe, which is that if you're barren, you're also cursed. But Hannah's wearing that, living where she's living being viewed the way she's being viewed. And she, she cries out to the Lord, and she says, if you'll give me the offering, the blessing of a child, I'll give that child right back to you. And the Lord answers her prayer, and she names the child Samuel, which incidentally means the Lord has heard. And in chapter 2, we see a similar declaration of victory. She says, my heart exalts in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord, my mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. And we could pick out many, many more, but those are just two women, vulnerable situations, hundreds of years apart, never knew each other until they both got to heaven. And here's what we've learned. Their, their, Their circumstances left them disempowered, but they found empowerment through a destiny that only God could give them. In the case of Samuel, that barren wound is opened and the last faithful judge of Israel is born. And in the case of Mary, we're celebrating tonight. This unlikely girl has chosen been, been chosen to give birth to the Son of God, the result of which is for the last 2,000 years, followers of Jesus, starting with her older cousin Elizabeth, have said of her what she claimed they would say of her. Blessed are you among women. By the way, that's empowering stuff, and we need to repeat that even in Protestant churches. I don't even, I don't know what our problem is. I don't know if they, are we afraid people are going to think we're Catholic or something? Mary is a blessed woman. Scripture says she's a blessed woman. Not only is there nothing wrong with it, it's empowering for us to look at her biography and to say of her the same thing her cousin Elizabeth said of her. You are blessed among women. And you're gonna do it you're gonna be blessed because of your role in literally delivering Messiah into the world the Christmas story guys is a story about how God through this baby is making us into something we could never be without him and that brings me to another point here the way you achieve that destiny is almost upside down from the way the world tells you you achieve your destiny even in the church some of this crap is snuck in right make your own luck seize your own destiny you are the captain of your soul you are the you can't even keep your heart beating what are you talking about you can't even keep oxygen from coming into your lungs somebody has got to help you do that james reminds us wait, don't don't be getting up bragging about what you're going to do tomorrow or the next day or the night your life is a vapor it's a vapor So, I I don't find my destiny. I don't seize my destiny. And and, and I also, by the way, don't ask foolish questions like, What is my destiny? Because apart from my creator, I don't have one. See, the right question to ask, and Mary gets at that here in the text, is What is God's destiny for me? What does he want? I mean, if she could have chosen her own destiny, do you really think she would have chosen this? I'm not sure she would have. I know there's a blessed state that comes from this, but look at what she has to go through in order to get there. And so what we read in beginning in verse 49 is this understanding that the empowerment comes not just from the destiny he gives me, but from, sub, from submitting to the rule that he has over my life. She says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. I'm deferring to him. Just as she said to the angel Gabriel, just as you have said, let it be done. I don't know all that this means. I probably am not going to find a lot of it pleasant. Bring it. If this is from the Lord, bring it. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And so there's two, two groups of people, obviously contrasted here, and the first of the proud. And, and the thing that she says of the proud, prophetic as it gets, he scatters them. He scatters them. And, and notice the way that he scatters them, right? He doesn't run them through with a sword. He doesn't kill them. Any, any of us who believe in the God of Scripture know that if that God desires to do so to any of us, He can leave a greasy spot where we used to be. You agree? He could do that if he wants to. He's not doing that here. He scatters the proud, not by direct warfare or combativeness against them. How does he do it? He does it in the thoughts of their hearts. He uses their own positive press to bring them down. He allows them to be deluded into believing the best and not the worst about themselves. He allows them to grow in their pride as a result of that. And then he brings them down, brings down the mighty, verse 52 says, from their thrones. Listen, this is one thing we know about the Lord. He hates pride. He hates it. And he attacks the proud. And he will ultimately remove them from their power and their position. There's some some speculation here, but it's well-grounded, I think, speculation as to whether... When she spoke these words, Mary had Herod in mind. Herod was that wicked, paranoid, thin-skinned, bloodthirsty ruler who oppressed his own people for the sake of his own riches and power. He was one whose reign was marked by ruthlessness and unbridled ambition. And and of course, all this personally felt. Mary and Joseph eventually lived that bloodlust. It made refugees out of their family for a couple of years this is a guy who murdered his own children forget about what he did to the firstborn children two and under in in bethlehem this guy murdered his own kids in a paranoid grasping for his own power in fact the roman emperor augustus is on record in history as saying of herod i'd rather be his pig than his son because apparently he treated his pigs better This is the epitome of what it means to be proud. And what we know happened to Herod was the depression and the paranoia combined to turn into some form of madness toward the end of his life. And that was complicated then by what the Jewish historian Josephus called Herod's evil, which as best as we can tell was a chronic, incredibly painful form of kidney disease coupled with a form of gangrene that would slowly and agonizingly take his life by 4 B.C., not long after the birth of Jesus. So you have this mighty king, the ruthless warrior, humbled, brought down from his throne, while the humble teen girl from Nazareth prophetically had declared, in all likelihood, just a few months even before this happened to Herod, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones. God hates pride, and he brings it down every single time but you know what he loves? He loves the humble. And of the humble, she says, he he exalts them. He lifts them up. Ruthless kings are going to eventually suffer in anguish. Mighty emperors like Augustus are going to remain oblivious as to how even the the executive edicts that that they issue are all done under the hand of a sovereign God who's guiding it all. Meanwhile, God invites into this very pivotal moment in history, sheep and goats, shepherds, traveling foreigners, a teenage mother and her fiance. This defining moment, th- this was the fulfillment. This is, it all started in Genesis chapter 3 when God looked at our first parents after they had rebelled against him. And as he's putting them out of the garden, he's simultaneously making a promise, I'm going to send somebody to fix this, to repair the breach, to turn back time as it were. C.S. Lewis said in the Chronicles of Narnia that death itself would be reversed. I'm going to send somebody to do this. And now we see it happening in history. But the proud get no invitation to this, only the humble. And that's true for everybody in this room tonight and everybody who's watching me from home right now or who may hear me in the future. You've got the potential for the very kind of destiny that Mary describes for herself. But whether or not it happens doesn't depend on your own abilities. It depends upon whether or not you respond to the rule of Jesus in your own life because true, genuine empowerment doesn't come from anywhere else. The only way you can escape the end that Herod faced is to humble yourself and give your life over to Jesus. And, and here's what you're going to find if you do. Same thing Mary found. This sovereign God is also faithful. Verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things. Are you worried about what's going to happen if you just give everything over to him? You're worried about what's going to, are you concerned that if you let go of the reins of your life and turn them over to Jesus, that somehow you're not going to have what you need? Are you still kind of trapped in that that, that mindset that, well, things are bad right now, so what I need is another situation, I need another circumstance, or I need this, or I need that, which is just another way of saying I need more control over my own life. I need more power over my own life. Listen to these words. The God who asks you for everything fills the hungry with good things, but the rich he sends away empty. People who don't give him everything, this is their end. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This child represents the promise that God made, first to our first parents in Genesis chapter 3, but then a few chapters later, about nine later, when he begins to actually start working out this promise in history, Genesis chapter 3, it's made almost an abstract. We know it's coming because God did it, and God doesn't lie, and he always tells the truth. But, but in Genesis chapter 12, and then later in Genesis 17, we start seeing this, this promise begin to be worked out within human history. So he makes the promise again, not to Adam, but to a man named Abraham. He's faithful. And some of you need to re- be reminded of that, I think. I, I think the dark times that so many people face. It's one of the reasons that depression and other kind of things spike at the the Christmas season. And I think for far more probably of us than was true even 24 short months ago, we've been through some darkness. And maybe you're wondering, where can I find light? That sentimentality is not doing anything for you this year. I talked to a young lady just yesterday in town I'm just waiting on January the 1st. I hate this time of year. I can't stand it. Gave me all the reasons why. Bad situation, dark moments. She can't be the only one. She can't. And you might be wondering, as you look at another vulnerable person in a similar circumstance here in Luke chapter 1, how can she speak like this? How does that happen? Is there a way I can get whatever she's got? Can I smoke whatever she's smoking? Like, can I I get some of that? I want to feel that way. I want to feel that way. Remember that you serve a faithful God who always keeps his promises, and sometimes that's all you got in this life. It's just a belief that he ultimately will. Now, you've got the the story of the Scriptures that reminds you time and time and time and time and time again that he always does, that he never lies, that sometimes it's hundreds of years beyond your own death before he finally keeps a promise, but he always does, and he's always faithful. Mary has to believe that. She has to cling to that because that's all she's got. Because a few days after this, she's got to go back to Nazareth best we can tell, she spends about three months with her cousin Elizabeth. All right? That's a trimester. So when she goes back, if she didn't have a baby bump before, she got one now. And all the rumor mongering turns into, oh, now we see it. Now there's evidence. There's fact. She's she's going back to this life, the scorn, the eye rolls, a, a fiance who eventually will come around, but probably hasn't come around yet. Back to a life where for years She's going to see her son scoffed at as some kind of illegitimate child. The same problems, the same darkness, the same discouraging situation she left behind in order to visit her cousin. And I'm bringing that up because I suspect that for some of you, that's what January the 26th is going to look like. Holiday's going to be over. You're going to return to what was. And you're going to remember and discover rather that, that what was is now what is. And absolutely nothing has changed. And the question is not whether it will. The question is whether you will wake up December 26th or the 27th, because that's when most of you go back to work, right? With a fresh empowerment to face these challenges. And the only way you can do that is to draw your strength from the very one that Mary now carries in her womb as she writes these powerful, powerful words. But he's faithful to you. The first one he changed was his own mother. Why would he not do the same for you? This is the son of God who came into the world, who lived in absolute perfection, something you couldn't do, something I couldn't do, and and nevertheless, something God requires not an inch less than absolute perfection. That has now been made available to you and to me in the life of Jesus. And the sin that we have committed that has separated us from this God was paid for when he willingly gave his life and he died on the cross for your sins and for mine. He rose bodily from the dead, among other reasons, to demonstrate for us that it was all true. He ascended to the Father and that baby who first changed his own mother's heart while he was still, still in her womb, reigns from the right hand of God at this moment. Will you believe him or won't you? Will you submit to his destiny for you or won't you? Will you trust him that he is faithful or won't you? But I'm telling you, that's the word you need. That's the word you need. And you don't have to trust me. You don't. But it'd be really, really good for your soul right now to trust a 14-year-old girl who just delivered what's perhaps the most powerful sermon in the entire New Testament about her son. Come to him tonight. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the coming of Jesus. We thank you for this reality and the way that it can lift our spirits. And so, Father, if there are those today struggling and I know there have to be, may they find encouragement today. Not in a, a changing circumstance, although certainly, Lord, you have done that in the past. But the way in which you get glory is, is your business. And so, Lord, it's, it's difficult for us sometimes to, to be humble enough to submit to that. But I pray, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would encourage these brothers and sisters tonight. And father if there's someone here who's questioning who you are the validity of faith who is this jesus maybe there's someone here tonight as glad as we are to have them maybe they're not all that glad to be here maybe they for all we know they came here because of a relative they feel forced possibly even to come by a relative i pray for that person father that the message from this young lady penetrates their heart and their mind and helps them to see that there is light and there is power in this season and so lord even as we gather around trees with our our relatives in the coming days help us to remember that may we take courage in that may it change us may it ready us for the future that you have for us i pray this in jesus name amen